Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hey, hello. Yeah, dude, what's up? Not much. So I was I was just thinking, and I, I remember talking to Tracy when I first came in. She, uh, <laughs> so... Did the, bar- the dog kid, bark at the you? Kids, no, she didn't. But then mm. when she came up the stairs, I got down on all fours, and, and as she popped her head around the corner, I barked at her, and she froze. <laughs> she was like, what's that? She's probably chewing your shoes right now. <laughs> probably. <laughs> or peeing in them. <laughs> Why does a dog still bark at Derek? Well, the one day he came over, got down on all fours, and barked at her. Anyways, what I started saying is that... Uh, because I'm here early now because yeah. the kids have gymnastics, so I have to drop them off at 7 or 4 7, so then I just come here. Anyways, so she says, oh, so you can get your recording done early. I said, no, <laughs> no, no. We, we spent so much time talking and chatting and doing stuff that, uh, again, what is it now? It's quarter after, quarter after nine. nine. I've been here since quarter after seven. Yeah, two hours of <laughs> chatting, joking, talking. <laughs> Telling jokes. Yeah. It's, yeah. Hey, what, what good stuff did you get on social media this week? Showing each other. Yeah. Like a couple of two-year-olds or something. Exactly. Stop me if you've heard this one. But imagine, I could already be home if we had cracked right down and recorded right, right away. But then what fun would that be? Right? <laughs> you got to be home early. Yeah. <sighs> well, yeah. It would be nice to get to bed early and sleep. You can sleep when you're dead. <laughs> I'm going to be Sleepin's dead because I'm not sleeping. Chumps. <laughs> Sleepin's for chumps. Sleepin's for chumps. Saturday, I was supposed to, or sun, Sunday, Sunday was supposed to maybe go for a paddle. What was the weather like on Sunday? It was really windy. There was it was super a, windy. It was the day after that nice snowstorm. Yeah. So all the but trees really would have windy. had snow. The banks would have had snow. The sun was out. It would have been a beautiful day on the water. In the five hundred kilometer an hour wind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was. Uh, it was really, really windy. So yeah, yeah we, we put the kibosh on that one. There's big waves coming in. We, uh, this week I'm looking down on the waterfront because my work is right on the waterfront and all the chain link fence is just sheets of ice. Yeah. <laughs> it's not chain link anymore. It's a solid fence. Yeah. It's been a couple of, uh, I think about four days now of really high winds. Yeah. 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 Eh, but we got snow now. Ice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We. Uh, yeah. <laughs> woo. Uh, I got a package in the mail. Oh, yes. Jeff's Maps. I ordered Jeff's yep. Maps. I was pouring uh, Or not them. Jeff's Maps, sorry. Maps by Maps Jeff. Maps by Jeff. That's going to be... Sorry, Jeff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's going to be something to get out of my brain yeah, because like, we can call him that for like years. Like Skydome Rogers Center. It's like, right? I still, still Skydome. Sky Dome. Yeah. Rogers Center, <laughs> Scotia Bank Center or whatever it's called yeah. now. ACC. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got. we got the uh, Maps by Jeff. All five of the... Algonquin maps and mm-hmm. yeah, they're pretty cool. They're nice maps. They're really yeah. nice maps. Yeah. I haven't ordered them online because I plan on getting them from them at the uh, Toronto Outdoor Adventure, Adventure Show, show yeah. whatever it's called. Yeah. So I plan on meeting up with Jeff, saying hi, and uh, buying his maps in person. Well, many many moons ago, long time ago, when the Earth was green, there's more long kinds of animals. Long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I printed off one of his maps when he was first started. Ah, yes, yes. And I think it was about five feet by six feet or something. Mm-hmm. Not, not too bad. Like a proper tarp. And when you buy maps by Jeff, um, formerly Unlostify, he sends you a link where you can download all the five maps that you bought yeah. in digital format, which is great. And he also, you can download the full-sized mm-hmm. map. So I threw that into Photoshop just to see if I took this to work. What would it print what, out what as? What would it print out as? And I looked at 150 PPI. It was like 16 feet by 17 feet. <laughs> <laughs> he, He's got a lot of data depth. Yeah. So, like, there's... Uh, Oftentimes, when you look at a canoe routes map or something, you zoom in. Depending on the quality, or whatever, it gets all pixelated. His maps don't pixelate. You have to. Z- yeah. You can zoom in a long way. But there's the watermark on the big map. Yes, that's hilarious. So I'm zooming in. I'm looking. What's that? 
he actually has a watermark with your name on it. Yeah, when you buy the map, he yeah. gives you a digital copy with your name digitally imprinted. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. So, just like, That's brilliant. What's, what's on those? Because there's there's the um, the what are the lines on a map? Oh, lat- oh. long lines. No, no, the depth, the height, and oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why am I just totally blanking on that name? That word, topographical, topographical markings. And I'm thinking, what's on that? So I zoom in on these two hills next to each other, and it's my name. <laughs> <laughs> like, so then I'm scrolling across. I'm, there is my name again. There's my name again. <laughs> okay, this is my map. <laughs> yeah, this is my map. Now. No mistaking it. So yeah, maps by Jeff. I uh, got uh, got all five of them there and uh, ready to start planning some trips. Awesome. Mm-hmm. When, when is the Toronto Outdoor Show? February 23rd. That's when I'll get my grubby little fingers on get my own set of grubby fingers on it. I don't know if I can wait that long. Sure you can. No, you can't. <laughs> Order them now. Oh, he's he's had to do a second printing. Yes, yes. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, we were chit-chatting there. And he said he had to do a second printing. He thought he, he thought all the maps that his first printing would last until the end of the year. Yeah. And he, he says he may not even have enough to... Go to last, last to the beginning of paddling season. So he's <laughs> he's already had to order, which is a really good problem to have. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yep. I better order more so there's more to have. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're looking to get yours, uh, you better get well, into- Well, everybody uh, knows it's a quality map. They've seen yeah. the quality of his work previously on previous maps. And so when this one, people have been waiting for this one to come out for like five oh, years. Oh, you see, there's even- Articles about him, like in the Ottawa newspapers, oh, the yeah. Toronto newspapers. Nice, yeah, they're they're hitting them up pretty good. So nice. good on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, other thing, making news, and we've been following this for a few years now. Yes, uh, the Klamath Dam, dams, nation's largest dam removal project. The U.S. Uh, uh, project is reaching a major milestone this month as work. Crews released the water behind three dams on the Klamath River. Because there's five, right? Yeah, there's six. Is, there, is it six? I always think there's six, there's and they're oh, they're removing four of them on that river system. And uh, the draw the drawdown of the reservoirs and the unleashing of the river at the 189 foot Iron Gate Dam is a necessary and hugely transformative step before the three hydroelectric facilities in the remote Siskiyou Mountains are fully removed. Last fall, workers took out a smaller fourth dam on the river. Yeah. Uh, Deconstruction effort is the culmination of a decades-long push by Native Americans, environmentalists, and fishermen to bring the 250-mile Klamath River back to its natural state. And we've talked about this in other episodes because we just found it so so interesting. And, I mean, you're, you're talking... With the fish, and you're talking the environment, and you're talking different types of. It's not all going to be whitewater rafting. It's wasn't you know, there a film on it in the paddling film fest of 2023? Yeah, yeah, was it last yeah. year? Yeah, last year's. Yeah. Um, most fundamentally, advocates want to see more salmon return to the pristine waters, born in Oregon's high desert, and emptying in on the California coast, where the power project is has blocked fish passage since the early 1900s. I read another article. Uh, I have read it because I'm, I'm going to go back and finish reading it. Um, low salmon in low water have a higher rate of a certain kind of disease mm-hmm. than salmon in deeper water, river waters and stuff. Uh, is it is it deeper water, low water, or is it enclosed? They, water? No, they said it was a low water disease. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, I'm maybe it's like not being able to breathe because there's no water. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I've, like I said, I've got it bookmarked. I got to go back and read it. But um, even after the Klamath resumes its historical course and dams are dismantled, which is planned for later this year, the work will not be done. Attention will soon turn to the colossal effort to restore the natural habitat along the river. Now they talked about it, but they've actually never gone into what they're going to do. Yes. Yeah. And so they, they this time they're they're saying here's what's going to happen. Uh, the restoration continuing through at least the end of the decade, so like another six years, focuses primarily on revegetating 2,200 acres of land that will be newly exposed when the reservoirs are empty. All those muddy banks are going to be 
And it's going to be fertile yeah. soil too. So yeah. these plants should grow quickly and well. Yep. More than 17 billion seeds are slated, that's billion with a B, slated for planting alongside a quarter million trees and shrubs. At least 1,000 additional trees will be flown in by helicopter and dropped into the river to create pools that might have existed in the absence of the dams for bugs to gather and fish to feed. Okay, the fish to feed I can see, but like you're just making like mosquito housing here. <laughs> like we, we could do without that. Somebody send these people a message. Um, this week, planting crews were already preparing to descend on the shores of the retreating waters at the Iron Gate Reservoir above the Iron Gate Dam to scatter acorns in the still soggy lake bottom. Hmm. Well, you might as well use the water that's oh, there, absolutely, right? yeah. In the weeks before the drawdown of the reservoirs, 18-wheel semi-trucks delivering dozens of pallets of seeds for planting, seeds many of which have been collected near the dam and sent to nurseries in three states for cleaning, storage, and making more seeds are the product of five years of planning for the river restoration by Resource Environmental Solutions. See, that we we haven't heard that before. So that's interesting to see that they're going to actually, they're making a concerted effort, and they've been Mm -hmm. planning this. They've they've always just said, we're planning it, we're planning it, but they haven't said what. What Now we're finding out. For five years now is what you've been doing. RES is leading the Klamath uh, post-dam recovery under the company's direction crews will work to blanket the riverbanks with 97 species of often colorful native grasses, herbs, shrubs, and trees, uh, each slated with specific areas where the plants have historically grown. Lands around Iron Gate, the lowest elevation dam, will be sowed with seeds and later shrubs and seedlings to help establish hardy oak woodlands and wildflowers-dotted grasslands while hills at the higher elevation, J.C. Boyle Dam in Oregon, will be primed with fragrant conifer forests. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of those on the front lines, and they talked about the indigenous groups and all that, uh, many of those on the front line of the restoration are members of the Yurok tribe who view the work as intensely per, uh, personal. Their Yurok's cultural and spiritual ties to the Klamath are rooted in their historical reliance on salmon. As many as a million Chinook salmon once swam in the, from the ocean up the Klamath each year to spawn, but the annual migration now counts less than 10% of what it was. That's a huge number. Yeah. Uh, in part because of these dams, right? Uh, tribal members hope rewilding the waterway will bring back enough salmon to reinvigorate their fishing tradition and shore up their bond with the river. The drawdown of the 59,000-acre-foot Iron Gate Reservoir began when work route crews widened the opening of the gates of a seldom-used tunnel at the base of the dam. Reservoir water, which was already tri- uh, trickling through the shaft, accelerated into the river channel. Flows are expected to proceed at a rate of about 2,000 cubic feet per second. Ooh. Wow, double what the reservoir's controlled releases have typically been this time of year. Ah, it's a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Residents downstream were warned not only of higher and swifter water, but of greater turbidity of with the surging river. Fish below the dam were also of concern. RES employees worked with members of the Karaka tribe to relocate coho salmon, which are even less numerous than Chinook, on the Klamath, so they wouldn't get buried by debris. Yeah, it could be a problem. It'll be a big increase in flow, and they're just not used mm-hmm. to that. With the drawdown, as much as 7 million cubic yards of sediment, or about half million dump trucks Whoa. full. 500,000 dump trucks full of sediment. sediment. Sludge. Is expected to wash out of the three remaining reservoirs where rocks, clay, and dead algae have collected for decades. Sediment load is likely to peak shortly after the reservoirs drain, but project managers say murky water could linger for two years. So this isn't a quick thing. No, 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 no. I mean, you're thinking, okay, well, let's let the water out, blow up the dams. Yeah. Bob's your uncle, but it is really not. <clears throat> this uh, accumulation of sediment for the past 100 years is not natural, so the idea is to move as much of it out of the first push, says Mark Bransom, CEO of the Klamath River Renewal Corps. 
This is the time of year when the river sees the least biological activity. We don't have to worry about fish runs moving up the river. There you so go. at least they've planned yeah. that, right? Iron Gate Reservoir is expected to be nearly empty of water for about in about two to three weeks, with water levels dry, dropping at least five feet a day. Uh, after that, work crews plan to similarly pull the plug on the 3,500-acre-foot uh, reservoir behind J.C. Boyle Dam in Oregon, about 35 miles to the northeast. The following week, they'll do the same with the 34,000-acre-foot reservoir behind Copco Number 1 Dam back in California, about 15 miles north of Iron Gate. Copco number one could be the trickiest because instead of using an existing outlet to release water like Iron Gate, crews plan to set off explosives. I want to be there for that one. <laughs> to blast a small hole through the 230 foot high concrete dam. 230 they feet say, high. They say a small hole. I know, right? That's <laughs> the plan. But as we say, even the best laid plans. That should be interesting to see. Yeah. The down, uh, drawdown of the three <laughs> reservoirs set the stage for taking out the dams, which is planned for after the wet season. That said, they don't want to wait too long because they're hoping to remove the dams before the Chinook salmon migrate up the river come fall. <laughs> Two dams farther upstream of the Klamath are not part of the deconstruction effort and will remain in place. Each is equipped with fish ladders for salmon passage. Yeah, that's the six I was talking about earlier. Yeah. So yeah, that I mean they're they're draining it. It's well on its way. Their plans are coming to, uh, you know, all all in progress yeah. right now. Everything's in motion, and I want to see that one. But keep your eyes because you tend to to. I don't know if you got a little reminder on Google or something. That I just see keep you come across. Well, you you find a lot more stories than me, but I seem to find some of these tricky ones. I find all the weird stuff. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but what is interesting is this is the first in-depth story that I've read on it yeah. where they detail the actions that they're taking because normally it's been well here's what we want to do here's what we yeah. want to but this is actually saying what they're doing exactly because yeah. normally the media is just kind of does a helicopter view of what's going to happen yeah. and this is the first time there's an article written where it gives in-depth detail of of the process and and the thought process and the planning behind it so it's like this, this is they're not just removing dams they're doing this there's a 99 point program plan here that for the removal of the dam and like they plan five years ahead with for with the seeds and they everything plan yeah so they they actually put in greenhouses and planted seeds grew them so that they would get more seeds and that propagated and now they have all these it, it's very interesting to see that the work mm -hmm. behind it that it's, it's it, there's a process and they're being very careful and conscientious about it very nice and then somebody's going to be out there throwing acorns all willy nilly <laughs> yes yeah the squirrels eat them all up yeah yeah put fences so the squirrels don't get in and that's got to be a consideration too you got to consider that maybe 60% of any seeds that you plant are either going to be eaten or fail yeah and so you have to overseed for the planning on some failures or some, you know, yeah. animals eating some of it. But, I mean, just because once stuff starts coming up, they can always go back in, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, so. And the force will take over and do its own thing as well. But as with anything, like, they, they what they're trying to do is they're trying to control the regrowth. Like, anywhere you see a force fire, it's like, oh, here comes the birch forest. Birch forest is going to be there for the first 20 years. And then, you know, the, the deciduous and whatever is going to come in and yada, yada, yada. So it takes time for the uh, the forest to recover in a natural way. And after 100 years? You don't even know. Yeah, you don't. You, you know, here's your plans, but... Yeah. Mother Nature might go, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Well, nice try, fellas. Yeah, it is interesting when you go through the park or Tomogamy or wherever you go and you're in this, like, it seems like an old growth forest, but it's like, oh, that stump. I wonder how long ago that stump burned, mm -hmm. right? So you can see that the forest has recovered and you got some really big, you know, trees and it's like, oh. Like there's, there was a forest fire. There at was one nothing point. here at one point. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've seen the pictures of Algonquin Park when they used to clear cut. Oh, and yeah, then yeah. you go to these yeah. places around Canoe Lake and stuff, and you're looking at these like fully wooded hills. Yeah. Oh yeah. At, yeah. at one point, there was nothing on Strip those hills. Bear, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. So yeah. So we'll see how this goes, and hopefully everything's going well, and we'll hear the updates uh, within a month or two. Of yeah. 
Like I say, if you see the video for them blowing a hole in that dam, <laughs> I'm sending it to you. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking that that small hole is not going to be a small hole. Well, somebody's goofing it, on the math on relative purpose. to the size of the dam. It's 230 feet tall. That's a big dam. So what's a small hole? Probably 20 or 30 feet around or something. I don't know. 100 feet it is, buddy. 100 feet it <laughs> I is. I doubt it'd be that much. Oh, yeah? You still, want, you still want a controlled outfall, a controlled release. You don't want to. Oh, it's like, going to be controlled. <laughs> controlled with that 100 foot hole. Wash away towns and villages. Ah, <laughs> they've lived there long enough. They've had plenty of time to move. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, keep an eye. I want to see, I want to see yeah. how that one works if you happen to check it out. Uh, Justin Barber. Yes. We've followed him a couple of times with his uh, dog, Saku, doing a lot of stuff out in Newfoundland and Labrador and mm-hmm. northern Quebec and stuff like that. He finished a big trip last year. Well, June 2023, Justin Barber set out on a 3,800-kilometer odyssey from Hudson's Bay to northeastern, in, in northeastern Canada, down to the southernmost point on the island of Newfoundland. So basically, if you're looking at a clock, you're going from 11 o'clock, or 10 o'clock, straight down to 5 o'clock. Yeah. From Hudson's Bay, straight straight south, southeast. Ambitious journey takes 12 months and involves canoeing, snowshoeing, backpacking, and pack rafting. That's incredible. Now he's ready to set off on the snowshoeing leg of his journey. Stage one of four on what Barber calls Expedition Northeast took him and his dog Saku 44 days, covered 692 kilometers from Hudson's Bay to Tsuyak, traveled up, up and down rapids, endless lakes, and northern lights that danced like green ghosts in the night sky as we laid down our weary and t- contented heads to sleep, was the general texture of the first leg, he says. After a break, the pair put in another 440 kilometers of mostly upriver travel over 61 days. Could you imagine going Uh, upriver for 61 days? No. (laughs) Yeah, somewhere around day 20, I'm just calling an Uber. Uh, Around day five, (laughs) I'd be calling an Uber. (laughs) For 60 days of the journey, they did not see another soul. Barber had originally planned to cover 700 kilometers to reach Labrador before the winter freeze set in, but ended up stopping earlier and arranged an air taxi back to civilization. But rather than go home, he spent six weeks, before for the six weeks, he lived in a bush tent outside a small northern town. Oh. Last camp in northern Quebec, 200 kilometers from the nearest community, before pausing as freeze-up grips the land tight, continuing the fight, got, which got riskier by the day, was unnecessary. It's oh. part of the original plan. I'll be going right back there, properly outfitted for the subarctic winter when ice conditions are safe, he writes. Oh, there you go. Uh, Barbara headed back to his camp without Saku. Dog headed home with his partner, Heather. Though Saku held up exceptionally well on the journey, he would not be cut out for the extreme cold winter. Fair enough. So, yeah, we've we've watched him paddle. Saku jumps in the boat, runs yeah. along the shore, has a great time. But, yeah, there comes a point where you got to, you know, worry about your dog, right? Um. Barbara uh, has waited for the creeks uh, and rivers to freeze and the snow to harden up as the cold sets in. Early winter is traditionally the time when trappers and native Innu in Labrador and northern Quebec travel minimally. Yeah, hunkered down. Yeah, January 4th, he was back on the trail and covering good ground. Before he set off, Barbara said that this stage might be the toughest section for the entire route. Uh, Upriver will be hard, but anything in a canoe is easier than pulling a toboggan in snowshoes. Uh, I guess if you're going through woods and stuff. Yeah, it it is awkward. Yeah. For roughly 1,100 kilometers, the Trans-Labrador Highway down, I'll be man-hauling with the potential for storms and deep snow. Well, if you can pull on the the highway, Trans-Labrador Highway, if you can walk the highway, but I got to think he's probably not. So he's on route right now then. Yeah. It will be extremely cold next couple of months for Barber on Labrador's high plateau. It is open and windswept, with temperatures sometimes dropping around minus 50 Celsius in early February. Bah. <laughs> uh, 
it's been it's been rather uh, nippy here in Toronto lately. And the people that are really whining apparently have not spent time on the prairies of Canada. Oh, That's I know, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just look like, yeah, this this is warm compared to when we lived out in Saskatchewan. Yeah. <laughs> so Johnny Stinson, he's in the foothills oh, yeah. of Alberta. Yeah. And he's like hitting wind chills of like minus 50, minus 60. He had minus 40 degree. Yeah. Like, holy cow. Yeah, yeah. Get used to it, buddy. <laughs> uh, cold and wind do come with some advantages. The snow should be fairly hard, making it for oh, good yeah. conditions to pull a sled. Yep. So, yeah. So, that's pretty cool. And then, yeah, once all that uh, stops, see uh, how well he does uh, pack rafting. That'll be good. Winnipeg. Oh, well, yes. we'll, stay, we'll just stay in Canada this week. Yes. <laughs> Most of Canada. Across Canada yeah. uh, news, news tour. Winnipeg is always... Um, Bit of a hard town, hard luck town. Mm-hmm. A lot of unemployment. Yep. Go down to Portage in Maine and floods in the spring. Yeah, yeah. F- super freezing cold in the winter. Yep. Uh, used to call it Winter Pig. Mm-hmm. City of Winnipeg wants to know how much of the historic Alexander Docks can be salvaged as it looks to redevelop the site. There's a lot of cities that are either just tearing out stuff or trying to revamp it for. Yeah. Tourism, recreational use, and that sort of stuff. Oftentimes, right? it's for, for some of these public projects to renew and re- renovate and keep things up to code. It's very expensive. And uh, and anything done by city, of course, the contractors are going to pad their quotes. Mm-hmm. So you can see why it's difficult to do this. But still, for the delays for saving this dock is kind of shocking to me. Yeah, uh, a request for proposals on the city's website is seeking a contractor for an engineering assessment that would identify parts of the current dock structure that can be used with the objective of establishing a docking facility suitable for public use, including for mooring, recreational watercraft and launching canoes, kayaks and paddle boards. Contract would also make recommendations for the partial or full demolition of the dock, which was built by the federal government in the 1920s. So that's like a hundred years ago. Yeah. It's time to either <laughs> upgrade it or yeah. rip it out, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Councillor Sherry Rollins, chair of the city's property committee, says the plan as part of the downtown recovery strategy that was launched after the COVID-19 pandemic, set aside money for the Alexander Docks, really envisioned it as being that connected riverbank dock to our tourism center all along the river. Mm-hmm. Part of the dock has been fenced off since 2015 over concerns about structural safety. Two thousand nine years now. Yeah, it's been a long time. That's what, I, that's what shocks me. It's like, I don't know. Like, I understand it's expensive to maintain and do these things, but mm-hmm. why is it on the back burner for so long? It's hardly a dock anymore, and the riverbank condition, too, needs to be assessed, Rollins says. City's COVID-19 recovery strategy set aside $600,000 for the project. Yeah. She says the city hopes that will attract funding from other parties. Uh, talk of what of what our river and riverbanks mean is always a discussion in the downtown amongst residents of mine and others that share the downtown riverbank, she said. It's part of the sense of pride of place that we have. And we've talked about that before. Yes. Is take pride in your own river and your own waterways and stuff, right? Yeah. If you take pride in it, take ownership, it's easier to take care of. The public Mm -hmm. takes care of. There's going to be less littering and. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, and people actually care about it. Exactly. In 2017, a report recommended maintaining the docks as a public space with a commemorative marker acknowledging reconciliation. And the engineering assessment is expected to be completed by this spring. And that's just the assessment. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. doesn't even begin to start yeah. fixing and, it up. And the longer and, they wait, the more expensive it's going to get. Right. And maybe somebody just waltzes in and goes, you know what? Yeah, let's just develop it instead. Yeah, let's put it in right? There's always that yeah. danger. Commercial dock. Here's one for you. This one is interesting. This one's interesting. Um... They say it's for teens, and I'm thinking that means, like, realistic age, not mental age. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Wait, I mean, some days we act like we're eight, so we still wouldn't clarify. <laughs> we wouldn't qualify on this. Canoe Outfitter is again sponsoring a Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness Essay Contest for teens, with the winner getting an all-expenses-paid trip to the uh, into the Million Acre Federal Wilderness this summer. Jason Javortsky's Ely Outfitting Company is sponsoring the contest open to kids ages 15 to 18 from anywhere in the U.S. Yeah. Not just that area, anywhere mm-hmm. in the U.S. Entry deadline is February 4th. Winner receives a fully outfitted, self-guided five-day canoe camping adventures for themselves and up to three friends. No, no parents, parents or, or adults. adults. Guides are allowed. Yeah. Hmm. We want to provide teens an opportunity to safely explore wild places, challenge themselves, and develop wilderness skills while gaining self-confidence and grit, Zabortsky says um, when he was announcing the contest. The contest is open to current high school sophomores, juniors, and seniors. Essays should be 1,000 to 1,500 words and respond to the question, why do you want to go on a parent-free Boundary Waters Canoe Camping Adventure with your friends. Because my parents suck. (laughs) (laughs) Two words. Just repeat that. (laughs) Uh, Essays will be judged by a panel of four judges based largely on originality, individual voice, tone, and thoughtfulness. No previous Boundary Waters experience is necessary. Sharing a parent-free Boundary Waters trip with my friends was a transformative and immersive experience. Ely Outfitting Company prepared us perfectly to sustain ourselves with only what we could carry in our canoes and safely face the breathtaking wilderness head-on, says Julia Ruel from Minnetonka, Minnesota, who won the first essay contest in 2018. She spoke about the value of learning wilderness skills, escaping technology, and relying on group independence. Which is true. Yes, yes. It's, and it's it's interesting, the, the perspective of doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Taking responsibility for guiding ourselves developed, us in, uh, developed in us a reverence for the earth and planted confidence in our own strength and tenacity, Ruel added in the statement. I treasure our days on the lake, afternoons hanging in hammocks, and nights stretched out under the stars. Safety is a top priority to ensure the winner experiences a successful trip. So apparently safety third is not an option. <laughs> well, if you're telling them no adults, you're committing to you're committing to send teenagers. What you assume that's going to be experienced ones who else is going to write these essays, right? Well, you never know. Ely Outfitting Company addresses consider, uh, considerations and concerns on its website for parents who might have reservations about their child participating in a self-guided trip. Can you imagine if one of these kids actually wrote it, won it, and didn't tell their parents? <laughs> oh, by the way, yeah, I'm, I'm going out next week. I'm going week. camping. Yeah, yeah, I'm going camping, yeah. Uh, winning outfitting package includes high-end gear like ultralight Kevlar canoes, backcountry tents, specialized trail meals, maps, and an emergency communication device. Everyone who enters the contest will receive a $50 coupon good towards outfitting packages and equipment rentals at Ely Outfitting Company. If you want more details on this, go to elyoutfittingcompany.com backslash essay contest. Sounds cool. It is very cool. Oh, to be 15 to 18 again. <laughs> it is uh, with how litigious they are. It's, it is risky to send 15 to 18 year olds. and But you know what? This is <clears throat> this is one of those growing opportunities for, for kids who are interested in the backcountry. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like you say, like those are the ones that are probably going to write these essays because they want they want that trip and they want to go back there and party and it gives them also gives them a sense of control over who's going to win it by you know what's put into the essays and and so on and so if they sound like idiots it's like okay these ones they're not going to (laughs) win why do you want to go on this trip so I can learn to throw an axe in the back country yeah yeah all right yeah that's a winner yeah we're not we're not Maybe we'll put him in a maybe pile. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know Toronto has a man-made river? Uh, well, I 
think I sent you a map. There's a there's a map I've come across multiple times over the past six months, and uh, it's been chopped around different perspectives. But have you have do you remember me sending you that map of the uh, hidden waterways and hidden rivers of Toronto? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of underground. Like a lot of these things are just now inside culverts, underneath buildings, yeah. underneath streets. And uh, but this one here is a bit bigger than your average little brook or stream that are being put under under this concrete. Yeah, Toronto is on the cusp of an infrastructure achievement of epic proportions. Mm. Rerouting the Don R- uh, River through a new artificial delta in the ambitious 1.25 billion dollar Portland's flood protection project. Project to reshape the Portland's area includes including a brand new artificial island. That's interesting. Yeah, has didn't we just make like a giant pond downtown? <laughs> That's true. Like, what more do they want? <laughs> a project um, has since captivated public uh, the public since work began in 2016. Interest has only wrapped up in the years since, as the serpentine one kilometer long river course progresses. Waterfront Toronto has been sharing video updates of the river's formation throughout the project's construction, releasing another glimpse into the progress of the human-made waterway this past Wednesday. Latest look at the new Dawn River mouth takes viewers on a trip along the new waterway as it will appear to canoers and kayakers. And these, uh, these new waterways... I've been wondering, it's like there's some really fancy bird nest-like bridges that they're putting in place. Mm-hmm. This is part of that, uh, the Don River project, the Portland's area. Yeah. Though the river mouth remains dry for now, large dams at the Keating Channel to the north and Toronto Harbour to the west will be removed in phases to allow a slow flooding process. The first phase of this process was recently completed when crews flooded the Don Greenway, a spillover outlet that will discharge the river directly into the to Lake Ontario during storm events. Once the plugs have been pulled, the Don River will bypass the silt-clogged Keating Channel, freely flowing through the snaking valley below new bridges and out into the harbor. Yeah, they've been putting some pretty neat-looking bridges and it, it is moving neat. them around and stuff and like I've that. been I, every time you go downtown, you look like what? There's so much construction over that area, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, it's southwest of like the old sugar refinery, and and it's just like the the lands themselves have been expanded greatly, and the new bridges are going in, new walkways and trails and paths are going in. So it, it's quite the system that they're building, and there's going to be projects for buildings there as well, a new neighborhood. Well, once complete, the Portlands will unlock 240 hectares of the Portlands area for development of an entirely new neighborhood. Oh, there you go. Look at that. These vast formerly industrial lands sit on a floodplain that will be eliminated once water flows through the new valley. The rerouting of the river unlocks these lands for what is expected to be a wave of new development to transform the mostly untouched but soon to be sought after area of the city. So is it going to be houses or is it going to be sky rises? You hope. Well, I don't know. I don't I don't know what I hope for. I don't know what would be best in the area. Yeah. Work on the uh, Portlands has uh, lasted the better part of a decade. Though it has not developed the same work problems and negative reputation as other long-term infrastructure projects dragging on in the city, Metrolink, Subway, <laughs> Water Toronto, uh, Waterfront Toronto has stuck to its timeline and projected cost estimates. It seems on track to complete and the impressive project in 2024 as planned. So it should be hmm. done this year. The, uh, you mentioned Metrolinks. That project is like a sixteen billion dollar project. Mistake? What? <laughs> yeah, mistake. Exactly. But this one here, one point two five billion Portland's yeah. flood protection. This is, uh, and you know, it's heavily needed. Like every every time we get a heavy rainstorm, there's lots of flooding and lots of issues and washouts, and so it, I guess it'll be good if it's if hopefully it's as good planned as they hope. So does this mean we're not going to see. Cars parked under bridges downtown Toronto <laughs> with water up to the windows. In the Don Valley, that'll still happen. <laughs> uh, good, because that's pure entertainment. <laughs> Not for the people it happens to, but for the rest yeah. of us. 
<laughs> I'm running down there with a canoe next time. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I say, is, is uh, they're talking about you know better spots for canoers and kayakers and exactly, everything down yeah. there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do develop in that area. Like I assume there's going to be. Like they're building up parkland, you're going to be able to paddle these rivers and watercourses. Like obviously, a lot of the redirect will be underground, but once it pops up on above on the surface through the Portlands, it should be interesting to see. You're going to see some trees and grass and open areas and and new waterways and watercourses, and you're going to be able to canoe and kayak in the area. It's going to, I'm looking forward to seeing the end result. Alan and, Drummond's probably already got plans. Oh, he's, yeah, I'm sure. He's probably already yeah. got it mapped out, launch areas, dates, times, <laughs> people yeah. he's going with. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we know it. Uh, speaking of hmm. floating down rivers, oh. every year they have the float your fanny down the ganny. Yes. Out Port Hopeway here. Just, we uh, keep talking about east of Toronto, that. but we're always elsewhere. Yeah, that that's usually I think the weekend that the um, Ontario Backcountry Canoe Symposium, yeah. right? So that's why we can never get to it. But that doesn't happen anymore. This is the first year without the Canoe Symposium. Oh yeah, Float yeah, yeah, Your yeah. Fanny Down the Ganny is a ten-kilometer race along the Ganaraska River to commemorate the 1980 flood that crippled Port Hope's downtown area. 2024 running is on Saturday, April 13th. 2024, which would have been the same day as the Canoe Symposium yes. had it been happening. Float Your Fanny Down the Ganny will be taking place this year. However, it will be a little different for 2024. With the current closure of the Sylvan Glen Bridge, the committee has spent the past few weeks reviewing all possible launch locations for the event. There is just no solution along the river capable of hosting the large logistics and parking undertaking that is the crazy craft start. <laughs> yes. So part of it is people, you know, there's, there's people that'll get in their kayaks or canoes and all that and go booting down rafts and stuff, mm-hmm. booting down this 10 kilometer course. But another part of it is the crazy craft. So you build whatever exactly. floats yeah. to float your fanny down the ganny. Yeah. And people get those blue barrels and they'll make themselves a little thing. You're getting wet. Yeah. It doesn't matter. People have made all types of contraptions <laughs> and they think this is going to do it. And then they hit a rock or something's too shallow and they get hung up or tip over and all of them go in. And this is April, so it's cold. <laughs> Sadly, they had to make the tough decision that there will be no crazy craft category oh, no. in 2024. What? <laughs> However, for this year... Only it will be replaced with a new participant experience, Floaty Your Fanny. The new Floaty event will launch from Optimist Park and travel the rapid sections down to the Fannyville Village. Fannyville Village, I guess, where the ending is, where everybody gathers at the end. If it inflates and floats, then you can join in the fun. If you're new to the event, then this is the perfect chance to get your feet wet. Literally. <laughs> Details, rules, and regulations will be released in the coming weeks. The Float Your Fanny tradition began over 40 years ago when the community rallied together to show resilience in the face of a natural disaster affecting the town. We are once again calling on the community and visiting participants to rally on the river for something a little different in 2024. So next year, the when the bridge work is done, they'll be back, back to, to the uh, the crazy craft aspect of it. But this year... If you got something that inflates and floats, head on down. I may not participate, but uh, <clears throat> since we're not at the canoe symposium, I uh, go down and maybe, check it out. Yeah, stand on a bridge somewhere and watch all the uh, heckle the goobers. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I throw things. Do we know anybody that's going to participate? If you're going to participate, let us know because we'll show up and throw <laughs> things at you. <laughs> so, googling like I do's. I have the want to do. I was Googling a few things. Where to go paddling in the winter because Mm -hmm. I was supposed to do my, like I say, on Sunday, I was supposed to do my January paddle and that didn't happen. But it's not in January yet. Still still got got, two weeks. Still got time. Um, And I was also looking, well, what about going on vacation somewhere that's not normal? We've been to Iceland. We'd love to go back. If you're looking for remote white sand beaches... Colorful fishing villages and rugged mountains dropping sheer into the sea. 
you might not think of heading high up to the Arctic Circle. That got me thinking of the Arctic Circle. Yes. <laughs> Lofoten is quite simply one of the most beautiful places in Norway. Country that's already famous for its spectacular fjords, vast icy glaciers, and towering waterfalls. Lofoten is a chain of rocky islands that lies off Norway's northeast coast. Islands are connected to the mainland by a series of bridges and ferries and surrounded by fjords, islets, and massive mountains. Apparently, some of the, uh, in order to boost tourism, because there wasn't a lot, one of the big ferries that you drive onto yeah. is, was, may still be free. Oh, yeah. Because they want to promote tourism. Yeah, they want people to come into town. Yeah. Hot Makes day. sense. Well, and each little island mm-hmm. is joined by another island or yeah. a bridge, right? And if you if you Google it, L O F O T E N, yeah, Norway, and you just look at the scenery, holy crap! It's incredible, and so it's very picturesque. And one thing that struck my so when I, I saw this was a topic, I I Google imaged it, and uh, it's like, oh yeah, this is my wallpaper at work. I the, there's what uh, the new Microsoft uh, 360 and whatever operating systems that are on work computers. It, this this picture comes up often in the cycle as it goes through all the pictures. And it's like, oh, look at that. I want to go there. And this is, I, I never knew the name of the uh, town until tonight. You're welcome. So it always pops up. You know, all <laughs> right. those interesting places you yeah. see. It's like, that's the place. These islands are great for outdoor activities such as hiking up mountains for awe-inspiring views. Yeah, no thanks. Kayaking around <laughs> islands. Okie dokie. Taking a dip in the sea, no thanks. And even surfing, okie dokie. <laughs> the Fountain is not just a summer destination. If anything, this remote region is even more scenic in the winter when the mountaintops are capped in snow. Icicles dangle off rose-red wooden houses. And the northern lights dance across the clear, starry skies. Because that's what I was thinking. It's like, maybe Tracy, I'd go somewhere different yeah. for a vacation, right? This would be amazing. Snowshoe hikes, winter kayak trips on the fjords, and wildlife safaris out at sea all take place over the winter. You can find cozy accommodations on the islands in the form of former fishermen's huts that have been converted into comfortable cottages for holiday makers. Hmm. Built to provide shelter for fishermen over the winter, these cottages are a great place to hole up in front of a roaring fire after a day out at sea or on the mountain. With little light pollution, the Lofoten Islands provide some of the most spectacular sightings of the northern lights in oh, winter. Oh, that would be amazing. Like I say, you, you just start Googling the, the videos and the photos and stuff. Yeah. Wow. And this is the year for it, too. We're, we're at a solar maximum this year, so yeah. <clears throat> leading into 2024-2025, be a couple good years to go and uh, check out northern lights in this area. Despite being so far up north, uh, north up in the Arctic Circle, the Lofoten Islands have a comparatively mild climate as their surrounding waters are warmed by the Gulf Stream. The sea doesn't freeze and the average temperatures rarely dip much below zero. Hmm. Yeah, they're like showing like December five, minus five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that's warmer than it was here today. <laughs> yes. Uh, of course, there's downsides to visiting in the winter. The long, dark nights, for one. (laughs) Some of them are like five hours of daylight. But you work with what you got. Yes, exactly. Uh, In the north, uh, it's dark from around the 7th of December to the 7th of January. (laughs) So your activities at this time of the year are limited. Unless, you know, you like taking long walks in the dark. Or long walks only lit by northern lights. Right. You can still go out on a fishing trip or the Northern Lights tour or simply hole up in front of a roaring fire in one of the huts. That'd be fun. If you're visiting in winter, you'll have to balance the hours of daylight with the average temperature and decide which tours you want to do. It's worth noting also that the length of the days change very quickly this far north. So although it's completely dark for about four weeks around midwinter, it starts to get lighter by about the uh, an hour a week until June. That's a big change. Yeah. Then darker by about an hour a week until December. So I'm thinking like March is pretty good to, to go. When well, is it all full dark? It's uh, December. 7 December to 7 January. Yeah. So March would be not full light, but it's... Uh, well, long enough light, yeah. 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 
One of the best tours to do is the kayak around the fjords in winter. Two-hour winter kayak trip where you'll paddle peacefully around the calm waters of the fjords and islands. You can admire the snow-capped scenery from the water as you explore the shoreline around Svalvar. You are invited, uh, sorry, provided with a dry suit and a, the trip is suitable for beginners, though bear in mind that kayaking in the cold can be more challenging than in warm conditions. Well, absolutely. When you're not heading out paddling, there are other things to do. You can head out in the wilderness with the experienced photographer who can help you get the best pics of the spectacular Northern Lights. Ooh, guided photo a tour. A four hour tour. It's not the three-hour tour. <laughs> I was just yeah. thinking that. It's like yeah. three-hour tour. <laughs> uh, you'll learn all about the Aurora Borealis uh, and drive out to where you can get the best views. Take a silent tour of the Trollford in this electric in electric catamaran. Oh, look at that. Uh, one of the most environmentally friendly ways of seeing the fjords without disturbing the wildlife that lives there. Or learn about the life and traditions of the Sami people on a fascinating five-hour trip to a Lapland <laughs> reindeer herd. <laughs> I would go do that for sure. Now, I've seen these them do this where they'll actually be on skis yeah. behind a reindeer. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> where are you going? Well, we're going kayaking. And then, because it's got to be some like, you know how you got pack rafting? Yep. Where you can backpack. So far, and then you raft back. Yes. Yes. I wonder if they got, like, kayaking to so far, yeah. and then you get hauled by a reindeer back. Yeah. Throw the kayaks on the back of a trailer or right. wagon. Or behind like wagon you or run. something. Yeah. Yeah. Just tow that tow that behind you. The, the, tie the kayak to you, yeah. and then you hop on skis, and the reindeer yeah. hauls <laughs> you in that kayak, like, 10 kilometers up yeah. the river, and then you paddle on back. And by the end of the day... I mean, it's night at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the fun you would have. I know. But, uh, yeah, no, I was, I was looking at this and I'm thinking, well, that's definitely something different for a, yeah. a holiday. It would be. We should go together to bring the wives. Huh? Hmm. That sounds fun. It does. I'd love but to if see anybody's looking to go to Norway. Yep. If anybody's been here and done the kayaking hey, yeah, stuff. yeah, let us know. Like I said, just Google it and check out the scenery for yep. the kayaks. Like, holy jump. I'd hmm. love to do that there. Absolutely. That'd be, yep. that'd be awesome. I got one more thing here. Something that I've thought about. Apparently, you haven't. Not until you mention it. It's like, oh, yeah. It's not a thing <laughs> for me. Now that you mention it, yeah. It, and I don't see it being a thing in the future, even though I am aware of it now. I'm going to point it out every time we're at a <laughs> boat. So I read an article, uh, Arnold Lowe from The Star Online. It's an online news site in Malaysia. Cause, yeah, because that's what I do. I read, <laughs> <you know? laughs> Why read, right, read local when I can read something over Malaysia? Yeah. Uh, he says, I groaned as I approached land. The riverbank was such that when my kayak landed, I needed to get out from the right side. And I really hate that. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I flounder like a clumsy oaf every time I must uh, get out from the right side. The left side of the kayak has been where I have been getting out, uh, getting in and out since day one. It doesn't help that getting out a riverbank on a slight hassle once we line up with the bank. Uh, we need to get out quickly before the river current pushes our kayaks out of the ideal position. To add to the complication, our legs tend to become a bit stiff after sitting in the kayak for hours. Absolutely. So bolting upright is no easy feat. Some battlers' legs even fall asleep. If that happens, move your legs to decompress the nerves uh, a couple minutes before landing. After my recently recent ungainly, artless riverbank <laughs> landing, yeah. and when I do stuff like, because I know it, I, I say, man, I, I, I'm sure if anybody videotaped that, it looked like a dog <laughs> trying to hump a football. <laughs> what is that guy doing? <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> the question of why I detest getting in and out from the right side kept popping into my mind. Then I realized parallels. 
people mount horses from the left side too. Motorcyclists invariably get on the from the left. Cyclists climb on from the left as well. And when I started reading this, I'm thinking, yeah. When when I think about it, the majority of the time, unless unless like I say, I'm at a dock, yeah, where the where the direction we're going points. You know, one direction where where the the right side of the canoe is against the dock, I get in on the right side. But mm-hmm. majority, see, with my canoe though, I, it doesn't bother me getting in left or right from the canoe. I can do either. Yes, I prefer easy. getting in from the right side of the canoe. But my kayak, I always get in from the left side, just like he's oh. saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it really depends on your dominant side. If you're left-handed, I'm right-handed, right-handed and yeah, and because it, for to to combat the awkwardness of of popping in or out of a kayak, you need that balance so you mm-hmm. don't tip over and fall in. Yeah, the canoe, I guess, is just <clears throat> whatever. Yeah, but the kayak, but even like my motorcycles, I always got on on the the right or the left side. Yeah, because it's leaning to the left. Bicycles, I always get on on the. Left side. Yeah, I'd say I'm, yeah, most of the time. Canoe, like I say, canoe doesn't matter to me. Most of the time in the canoe, I get on the right side. Mm -hmm. But that's the only weird thing. For me, it's how you've landed or Mm -hmm. like to get out or get in. Like it's, uh, if you're, like say you're coming along a shoreline going right to left, then you're going to nose in at like a 45 degree angle and sidle up to the shore or on the right side of the canoe. But if you're going the other direction, it's naturally going to be the other side. But see, I will pass a a portage. Like if I'm in a canoe, okay, I will pass, or sorry, the kayak, I will pass the portage and turn so that I come back to the portage with the landing on my left. I don't do that. Yeah. Like if if I'm heading with the, if if the riverbank is on my right, when I come up to the portage in a canoe, I'll, I'll leave it there. But Mm -hmm. if I'm in a kayak, I'll spin so that the, Oh, yeah. Landing ends up on my left, but see that is it is like I said before it's it's what you're comfortable with because of you need you need your dominant muscles your dominant side to control the the tilt and whatever of the kayak but as you're in and out. I'm right I do everything right handed, mm-hmm. but I do the kayak left handed. Yeah. That's strange. Mind yeah. you, I play <clears throat> hockey left handed too. Oh yeah, yeah. Kickstands of every motorcycle and bicycle are also on the left. Says, I went on a chat group and asked around. A lot of kayak fishers told me they instinctively get into their kayaks from the left, whether they are right or left-handed. Only two paddlers said differently. One said he could get in and out from either side as needed, and the other chose the right side because his kayak has a rudder and the steering toggle is on the left, getting in the way. Yep. I went on a cycling <clears throat> chat group too, and something like ninety nine point nine 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 percent of cyclists climb on from the left. <laughs> uh, Sonia Tan, uh, who is both a mountain biker and road cyclist, said she has been climbing onto her bikes from the right for as long as she can remember. Her first bike was a small kitty bike with dual training wheels. She climbed on from the right when she was seven or eight, and has been doing it ever since. Uh, friends saw me getting on my bike from the right and asked how come only then did I realize that everyone else climbs onto their bikes from the left. Yeah. After much reading, I learned that this global left side tendency is centuries old. Oh, about 90% of the world population is right handed. And so cavalry men wore their swords on the left hip to do a cross draw with their right sword arm. This made them favor mounting from their horse's left, swinging the right leg over the horse. Yes. If they were to mount from the horse's right, swinging the left leg up could result in their swords entangling with their saddle or their legs. There were exceptions. Horseback warriors from Alexander the Great were spearmen. Saddle had not been invented yet. And these men vaulted onto the horses using their spears, preferring the right side of the horse to favor their stronger right arm while vaulting. Interesting. Nonetheless, swordsmen and horseback came the re- became the regular warring strategy, strategy for thousands of years. 
to the point that today, recreational horse riders might find their horses getting skittish and confused if riders try to mount them from the right. <laughs> what are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah. We got a weirdo over here, boys. Uh, those who enjoy long-distance cross-country riding are said to train their horses to get used to being mounted from either side in case of emergency. If the rider's left leg is injured, for example, it will be necessary for the rider to plant the right leg into the stirrup first, and despite myself, the same would go for kayaking and many other outdoor activities. Case of emergency, or just to be efficient, I need to be able to get in and out of my kayak smoothly from either side. It would be good to be ambidextrous kayak mounting individual. Ambimounter? Ambi-mounter, yes. Ambi-mounter. It is a matter of building muscle memory. Keep practicing something new uh, until new neural pathways and the brain and spinal cord develop. Once my brain builds the new neurons and pathways, the new motor skills will be handled by the brain's autopilot features. Then I will finally be able to get in and out of the kayak from either side like a pro. So he thinks. <laughs> While re reading up on muscle memory development, I realize how important it is for people to master new physical activities. In two experiments, test subjects spent six weeks learning how to juggle. I spent 55 years trying to learn how to juggle. <laughs> I can juggle two balls at once. <laughs> two oranges, two apples, two bananas, whatever, but no more than two. Scientists at Oxford University studied detailed magnetic resonance imaging of their brains before and after their training and discovered that the oh. subjects acquired new connective fibers, white matter, and neuron cells, gray matter, in their brains after learning juggling. Interesting. Among musical instrument players, mastering new musical pieces resulted in the forming of new white and gray matter in the brain, too. Learning new motor skills that change how the central nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord, uh, connects with muscles makes the brain form new cells. Very interesting. This is why when retirees pick up activities like Tai Chi or dancing, they feel rejuvenated. The mental process of mastering new physical activity refreshes the brain. So go for it. Pick up new skills and build muscle memory. If you're in a kayak, start getting in from the right side, getting out <laughs> from the right side. Yeah, you never know when you're going to need it. Yeah. Weird. I never really gave... I hadn't really thought about it. Consciously yeah. thought in depth of it. Yeah. But automatically, just do it. Get in from the right or the left side on, on, on the kayak. Yeah. And you know, yeah, you always push it such a way that even if, if I have to paddle to the right, it's pointing to the left until yeah, I yeah, get yeah. in and yeah. then I circle around. Hmm. Interesting. Now you know. This is going to, I'm going to have to put some thought into this. Because I know, like. Now you're going to go, you're going to put your boat in the water and just look at it and going, should I get in from the left? Should I get, <laughs> did I get in from the right last time or the left? Should I change it up? I, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, neat, eh? Mm-hmm. Thanks, Arnold. Yeah, that's that's a head scratcher there. Because it, it's just something I'm, I've not con con like consciously been aware of. Remind me never to go to Malaysia because <laughs> there's too much thinking going on over yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, interesting. It, it's something, and but after you start reading this, yeah. you know you do it. Yes. You hadn't really thought about it. It could have been reflexive. It's yeah. just pro It's like a tick. Subconscious You don't know you've got a tick till somebody points it out. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then you're, oh, yeah, I do have a tick or, yeah. or whatever. Interesting. <sighs> hmm. Now I'm going to be so <laughs> confusticated next time I put my boat in the water. That's not a word. Confusticated? <laughs> yes. It is? Look it up. <laughs> should be a word. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> it's all confusticated. <laughs> uh, that's all I got this week. That's all I got. Really? Nothing to add. Nothing? Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. Alan Drummond, yes. Kingdom Outdoor Products, mm -hmm. has been sending me a ton of videos of cars okay. and skidoos and other motorized vehicular objects pulling things like kayaks. Oh, yeah? 
in snow and ice. Oh, I've been seeing some of these videos too. Yeah. 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 And he said, this would be fun. And I said, Derek won't let us use his old kayak. <laughs> I need to sell it. 25 bucks. I'll take it <laughs> off your hands and put it to good use behind somebody's car. Downhills. <laughs> Wear a hole through it. Let's take it on the road. Well, that's what you do. People are going to look at you and go, man, that looks like fun. 10 bucks. You can have a ride. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right? It'd be paid off in no time. Yeah. <laughs> paid off. <laughs> Whatever you're going to sell it for. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Five bucks a ride. Step right up. Five bucks a ride. <laughs> Sign this waiver. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want the jump or the flat area? Yeah, yes. Because <laughs> uh, knowing us, we're going to hit that jump and try to do some yeah. roll in midair or a flip or, <laughs> or something. Oh, good times. All righty. <laughs> well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can download our stream, our episodes, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, Player FM, iHeartRadio. We're actually, I've started putting our episodes on YouTube so you get the static picture, yep. but you can actually listen on yes. YouTube because a lot of people apparently do that. If you go to your favorite podcast downloading sites and we're everywhere. Or you can just go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can stream or download all our episodes there. Tickety-boo. <laughs> Which is a word. Tickety-boo. <laughs> yes, yes. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>